Hello, I'm Chris Wright. And I'm David Bryan. Welcome to another episode of Revolutionary Dispatches. We're still alive! We are. Yeah. So, <laughs> astute listeners would have noticed that we haven't posted an episode in eight months. Yeah. This is due to a combination of factors, ranging from my laziness to... My laziness. <laughs> <laughs> also a little bit of genuine panic over coursework deadlines. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm happily procrastinating writing my master's decision. It seemed like a perfect time to get back into the swing of things. Oh, really? That's what I'm doing as well. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> This is a preemptive apology to the University of Southampton. Yeah, yes. <laughs> their overall grade average this year is being brought down by the distance of this podcast. Yeah, very slightly. Cheers. No, it'll be all right. <laughs> it, so, might, it might be all right. How have you been, David? Oh, relatively well. I've been a bit too hot. Yes. That's about it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It has been melting here in the United Kingdom for the mm. past two, two and a half weeks. I literally cannot remember the last time it rained. No, neither can I. And for those of you who don't live in England... That is very <laughs> rare. <laughs> Everything that's supposed to be green is brown. Yeah. Struggling to remember the last time it didn't rain is usually the more difficult task. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last time you saw the sun. <laughs> the last time you weren't infused with a wistful melancholia. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that. Ah, uh, England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I remember. It was um, yesterday about seven o'clock. That was the last time you that's weren't it. infused with a wistful melancholia. Yeah, just before just before the England game started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am fortunate in that I really, really don't care about football. Is, I broadly don't care about football. Mm. Um, but logically, based off of that, that means I must be incredibly patriotic if I care about an England game. That is true. I did care slightly more about this game than usual, just because I knew it would bring down the general mood of my house, my mm -hmm. family, and also yeah. the country at large if, yes. if England didn't win. Also, there's some interesting and quite worrying research that shows that the incidence of domestic violence, particularly against women, goes up quite significantly whenever yeah, England play, but even more when they lose. When we lose, yeah. That's not good. But I'd, I happen to be... I'd forgotten that the Sweden game was happening, the England-Sweden game. Oh, yeah. Um, but I happened to go into a pub just after it finished, which is when we won, we got into the semi-finals. And mm. the mood in the place was... I've never known a pub to be like it. It was... Everyone was so happy... And infused with this feeling of togetherness, I thought, if football can do this... Again, for people outside of England, that is not normal. Repeat, no, no. <laughs> not normal. Certainly not in the South. Yeah, no, no, not in the South. <laughs> maybe in maybe in Manchester you might get the odd moment of camaraderie. But I walked past it again the next morning, and I got the impression that people were still there from the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Just rolled under a table somewhere. We only get an opportunity to party like this once every 60 years or so. Absolutely. We're going to make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain degree of under the surface, everyone knows it's very unlikely we will actually win. So we need to enjoy the period when we can plausibly deny that fact as much as we possibly can. <laughs> to be fair, it was the first semi-final in, what, 28 years? Certainly since I can remember. So it's not bad going, really. No, no, not bad. Messrs, Messrs Kane and Southgate have probably earned their inevitable knighthoods. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> so fair, fair play to them. Their loss of the title of Messrs. Indeed, indeed. Uh, right. Well... Yes, so, apologies again for our massive leave of absence. Yeah, um, we'll try to avoid those in future. Yes, we've, we've never been exactly what you would call a regularly scheduled <laughs> podcast, but I think eight months is probably a little much to leave between instalments, mm -hmm. so we will attempt to rectify that in future. And there's not been a major vote this year. Well, no, because Brexit's gummed up the works of literally everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the only votes that are possible are on Brexit, mm. and then there was that anti-domestic violence package that was supposed to happen, and never really materialized mm. that's 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 all i can think of the other thing i should say is that some of you may have noticed if you actually you know 
follow this podcast, which is apparently some of you. So thanks for that. Kind of what's but going on there? But no account for taste. Yeah. But some of you may have noticed that all but the most recent two, that is episodes six and seven of the podcast, are not currently available on SoundCloud. And that is basically because at some point during like May, an ATM ate my debit card. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> which David well remembers because he had that. to stand with an umbrella over me in the rain for about twenty minutes while I tried to sort it out with my bank. Oh and yeah, very- rain. Yes, rain, glorious rain. And then very graciously paid for my curry when yeah. it transpired. I couldn't sort it out with my bank because this is my the bank lifestyle is we lead. rubbish. Curry yeah. at three in the morning. In Absolutely. The rain. I haven't mentioned it was three in the morning. You chose to introduce that admittedly yeah. true fact. No, well. <laughs> so, about it. Yeah, so that's why that happened. Um, I then just basically didn't get around to renewing it on account of the fact that we weren't recording any new ones for ages. So I went on there earlier today to renew the subscription, only to discover that it's gone up or or at least if it hasn't gone up then my brain is faulty either way it's now 10 pound a month or 90 pounds a year which is i suppose technically a discount but still extortionate um Mm. to uh to host more than six hours of of audio and and seven pound a month to host more than two hours so basically at the moment being a student i can't really justify that kind of outlay so what i'm going to do from now on is new episodes of the podcast will still be uploaded to soundcloud and distributed that way because all the rss feeds point to that soundcloud page on like apple podcasts and whatever Mm -hmm. so um yeah i'm still gonna upload new episodes of the podcast via that but you'll probably only be able to see two at a time simply because of the artificial uh upload limit that soundcloud imposes on three users so okay that's Artificial scarcity and info capitalism. Exactly. That's what that is. <laughs> Indeed. So until I, until I come up with a better slash more permanent solution, what I will be doing is uploading all the old episodes and all episodes <laughs> from now on after probably a bit of a delay because I'm lazy uh, to yep. a YouTube channel, which I have made today and is in the process of being populated with things. So links to that will be found on our Facebook and studied on SoundCloud and on every episode in descriptions. So you'll be able to find it if you should wish to peruse the back catalog. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's not going to be on SoundCloud because I have no money. Yeah. Um, so if anyone knows a, a free thing like SoundCloud, but which allows unlimited or at least vastly greater audio upload um, for, for no money, then hit me up yeah. because that would be great. But otherwise, YouTube is going to be that thing for now. So we will be plugging into the global capitalist behemoth, which is our laws and masters alphabet corporation. Uh, right. I think that's all the housekeeping from me. Do you have any housekeeping? Uh, no. No, I think that's points? everything. Fantastic. And we got football out of the way early on. Yes. So. Like the England team did. <laughs> <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> Sorry. I'm I sad have... too. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm not sad at all. And yeah, I, have, well. I, have, I live with two football fans and <laughs> they were sad. Adam was still sad this morning. Just don't really care. <sighs> It's a great advantage to not care about football. I don't want to be a class traitor, but rugby and cricket are just better games. <laughs> I mean, I still don't watch them because, you know, I watch videos on YouTube taking apart alt-right commentators. <laughs> it's fun because that's me. But yeah, you know, if I was going to watch a sport, it would it would probably be tennis, actually, because it's the most fun. That's true. Right. It's, it's actually physically a fun activity to watch tennis because you have to move your head back and forth all the time. <laughs> That's very true. There's a, there's a and also, it. Andy Murray has a decent chance of actually winning some things. Yes. So you can, you can be patriotic. Although, yes. only, only Britishly patriotic, yeah. not Englishly patriotic. <laughs> Come on, Tim. <laughs> it's never happening. <laughs> okay, so our first sort of actual story this week is um, Donald Trump is coming to the UK. He is, he's, well, he's, I mean, I think his ancestors are German, but he does own some golf courses in Scotland, so I guess he's coming oh, home. Fair enough, then. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even get that to come home. No. 
Absolutely. We don't want him, but he is turning up tomorrow as it happens. Right. Or by the time by the time you're listening to this, probably today, um, given we are recording this on a Thursday Thursday mm. afternoon. Actually, I think I heard time... he has actually landed already, but the, the visit, oh, quote, okay. unquote, has actually, hasn't started yet. Fine. I think he's actually already in the country now. Oh. Uh, uh, that just made me feel worse. If you had a strange feeling in your stomach about two hours ago, that's why. <laughs> I thought that was just because I didn't properly cook those eggs I had for lunch. <laughs> I wish that was eggs. a joke. <laughs> raw eggs are fine. Raw they are unless not. they have salmonella, but these tasted weird. <laughs> I was a little scared for a bit. Actually, it's more common for American eggs to have salmonella than British ones, because they have lower regulatory regulatory. Standards. Oh, if Jacob Reese Mogg gets his way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Save it for the Brexit segment. So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Donald Trump is apparently already in the country and will be visiting various people, including Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Is that actually that's confirmed that's happening then? He is actually yes. getting to meet the Queen. And and also Her Majesty Margaret Thatcher II. Sorry. Um, <laughs> ineffectual Margaret Thatcher II. Thatcher in the Rye. <laughs> That was awful. <laughs> that during the wheat. Oh, I see what you're going for. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see, that would have been a lot funnier retrospectively if I hadn't entirely missed the joke and thought you were just doing a dumb pun. So what I'll do in the edit is make it look like I was really, really intelligent and got it straight away and then chop in this following loud laugh. <laughs> a hornet has just flown into my room. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, um, I'm going to try and shoot that out. Just give me a moment. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens in an English summer, folks. Like hornets are just—they're not a thing we normally have in this country, but it's hot enough that they've turned up. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> Did it? I, I like to think of hornets as the end boss in a video game level, where the <laughs> like the main mobs have been like little wasps. <laughs> it wasn't. Like, it was only like twice the size of a normal wasp. Uh, I've, it, it wasn't like a proper, proper massive one. one. Then. Uh, I've had them before around here. I, I, the biggest one I ever saw was it was a good, must have been a good like four inches long and bright orange. God, blimey! I don't know if that's bigger in my memory than it actually was, but it definitely <laughs> was it in your that. childhood. Were you smaller at the time? You know, I probably wasn't any shorter. I was probably <laughs> physically smaller, but <laughs> but I was it was just, I was must have been about fifteen, sixteen, so I oh, probably right. wasn't any shorter. I'm gonna look up how big they get. <laughs> we always have weird like well, zoological from detours. Nature? Yeah. Yeah. European hornet. Here we go. Description. <laughs> Workers average around 25mm in length, while the larger queens can reach up to 35mm. Okay, I'm going to assume then that 4 inches is a massive exaggeration, mm. and in reality it's probably about an inch. I think the biggest species is the Japanese giant ones, and I think they can be like 4 inches. Right. Well, unless it was unless it was an escaped Asian giant hornet, I'm going to assume <laughs> that the fact that it was flying past my face made me think it was bigger than it was. I'm going to be charitable and assume it was a queen, and therefore it was about it was 35 millimeters, so I was only off by a bit. Is it a coincidence that the moment we've mentioned Theresa May, we've then immediately moved on to how big is a European hornet? <laughs> <laughs> um, Dangerous insects. Yes. <laughs> she, she doesn't come with warning stripes, though. Oh, even the Asian giant hornets only get up to 45. Yeah. Oh, really? 1.8 inches. Although they've got a wingspan of three inches. Blimey. And a, and a six millimeter stick. Mm. A little shrew could could ride that like mm. a, I don't know what it's like there's no animal that you can ride through the air but I don't know what I don't know why I brought that up <laughs> <laughs> making comparisons to non-existent fauna is apparently a thing we do now I'm no. sure this is this is how we got onto the bush babies tangent in the last it one it must be yeah and that killed the podcast for eight months <laughs> and also and also that episode was so weird in general that the only thing I could think of to call it was bush babies and the October revolution which yes. is a rubbish name but with yeah, all yeah. we talked about so yeah, yeah. So let's circle back to the uh, president of the United States mm. 
Yes. Mm. More dangerous insects. Mm. He Yellow does have warning stripes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And tiny hands. So, mm. so he is um he is visiting our, our fair septed isle, mm-hmm. and he is he is uh, meeting Theresa May at Checkers, which is uh, for those who don't know her kind of the Prime Minister's traditional country retreat, um, and then meeting the Queen at Windsor. So as to avoid coming anywhere near London, yeah. because the basic gist is that London is going to be absolutely full of protesters. Mm. Avoid coming near too many people, because people tend to hate him. Yeah, yeah. human beings. Yeah, <laughs> well adjusted. Stay on the Salisbury Plain, and you'll be all right. Maybe. Although I feel or... like Stonehenge might try and fall on him. Yep. <laughs> just in general, yeah, angst. stood stationary for what five thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> he walks near it, and it's oh, there we go. Those druids had quite some foresight if they placed that there just so they could squash Trump. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there'll also be sort of companion protests taking place in, in other cities around the United King, including in our fair, fair Southampton, mm. uh, which I, 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 I think I shall mosey along down to tomorrow. That's a very good uh, idea. Uh, and, and see what's going on. Register I imagine your displeasure. Absolutely. Down with, this, down with this order. I imagine there's not too much going on in Clacton. <laughs> I, I imagine not. Yeah. Um, I'll look it up. Douglas Carswell is probably leading a counter-protest on his own. That's possible. Although he's not the MP anymore, he's just given up. <laughs> I know, but you know, he's still about, presumably. <laughs> oh, possibly, possibly. Yeah. I like to think so. He's got to maintain that myth of his personal vote. You keep seeing him come up on, on, on the news again now, because they keep doing montages of the referendum campaign, and I think, oh yeah, <laughs> I remember when, when he was important. <laughs> Do you remember Mark Reckless? Oh yeah, the other one. He was he was he's my favourite because his name is literally a description yeah. of what like his actions were. Yes, and then he lost his seat at the election. Yeah. <laughs> so it works. Yeah. Nominative determinism is yeah. real. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah. So really, I, I just wanted to point out Trump is coming and the United Kingdom looks set to give him pretty much the middle finger. Yes. Yes. So this was a thing. He was originally supposed to get a state visit. Mm. Is he not getting that anymore? He's just visiting the country. Yes. He's not getting the full treatment that Obama got. No. Because very few presidents ever have gotten that. No. And it was very extraordinary that Theresa May offered him one immediately after he got elected. And that's never been done. Normally it's not until their second term they get one. Hmm. So all the people that are saying that how dare we not give him a state visit, it's disrespectful. It actually isn't. No, it really isn't. It would be an incredible act of over respect, if anything, to give him one. Damning with false praise. Especially after he has directly attacked the government anyway. Hmm. Somewhat, as he says. Somewhat. But he is meeting the Queen, which I just I can't imagine that going well, can you? Hmm. Hmm. No, it'll be a triumph of manners if they manage to pull it off without a hit. She has sat through like so many tin pot dictators and very true, mad tyrants in her time. I think she'll she will she'll muscle through with a plum. Hmm. The thing will be Prince Philip, <laughs> <laughs> because although I suspect that if they confined their discussion to racial policy, yeah. they'd probably agree. Um, nevertheless, I imagine he thinks he's a twit. Yes, yeah. And probably wouldn't use as polite a word. Mm. <laughs> that could be quite fun. He's the sort of... Yeah, he's the... Insofar as they are both a distilled version of the aspects of British and American culture which do not mesh properly, they will not get on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know, is he bringing... Uh, presumably he's bringing Melania. Uh, presumably, yeah. Um... But, I mean, is, are any of the others coming? Is, is Ivanka coming? That's a good point, of his family. Obviously, he'll have brought an, an entourage of, yeah. of staff and what have you, but is the rest of his family coming? I don't know. It doesn't look like it from a from a very quick Google. It looks well, like it's... How it's old's just Baron? Because he's quite young. You'd think he's that like they'd... 13. Yeah? Oh, okay, maybe he... Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure they they are trying 
um, or I think rather Melania is trying to her great credit to keep him out of the political spotlight as much yeah. as possible, yeah, yeah. which is absolutely the right thing to do right. because it's not his fault, bless him. No, no. <laughs> he didn't get to pick his father. <laughs> I mean, she did. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, you know, a little blame may go to her, but in general, in general, I really don't have too much more to say on it other than I thought we should acknowledge the fact that he is coming and... Oh, we should, hang on, that's another thing we should talk about, the, the NATO summit. Oh, yes, yeah, so, yeah. So he's, he's coming to the UK directly from a NATO summit, um, and basically what he's done <clears> is he's, he's demanded that the European allies increase their defence spending. <clears> so the, the current NATO rule is you have to spend a minimum of 2% of GDP on defence per year. I think currently the only two countries that are doing that are America and France. No, I um, believe the UK is as well. Yeah. But only well, it's, it's, if you it's factor how you measure in, it, yeah. Yes. I think if you factor in pensions, military pensions, which is how right, yeah. the UK calculates it. If we're missing it, we're not missing it by much anyway. So yeah. we, we are around 2%. Yeah. But now he's saying that not only do the other countries need to step their game up and meet the 2% target, but that all of NATO should aim for 4%. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> which is more than America yeah. already spends. Is it? I think that beats America's current expenditure. Yeah, so at the moment, it's... Yeah, no, you're right. At the moment, they're spending about 3%. Yeah. And America's military budget is obscenely vast. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's currently. 54% of the federal government's discretionary budget. Yes. So, so it's a majority of federal spending. It's, I think it's 30-something percent of all human military spending. Mm. Uh, Only China really comes anywhere close. Really come close? I think they're less no, than yeah. half. Yeah, exactly. And so... Even taking into account uh, Britain and France alone, I think Britain and France together spent more than Russia, mm. not counting America. Yes. So there's often this there's this thing of Europe for a long time has been freeloading off of America for our defence. They spend lots on the military. That means we don't have to spend very much on our military in order to defend ourselves against Russia because it's right on the doorstep. But if you take Britain, France and Germany, which are the three biggest in the EU, then we're already significantly more spending on our military than Russia does. Mm. And that's not to take into account, you know, the other, the other NATO countries in Europe, of which there are quite a lot. Yeah, well, most of Europe, yes. pretty much, other than Switzerland. So if you take, I, I wonder what, a little bit more calculation, but if you take America out and you just take the military budgets of the other NATO members, I suspect it is still, you know, a, a very, very large section of global military spending to the point where it would definitely be a match for any other arising superpower like, you know, China or India or whatever. So America does spend a lot more than Europe, and most of Europe doesn't meet the NATO target. But let's not lose the perspective and think that apart from America, there's not very much military spending happening in NATO. The rest of NATO is still many of the biggest militaries in human history. But here you go. The US spends about $582.4 billion. Uh, that's, a, that's in 2014. And the rest of NATO combined is about a third of that. <laughs> so That's roughly comparable to China. Yeah, so that's, that's give or take $200 billion. Um, Russia, by contrast, spend about sixty-six billion, and China. China is about one hundred and seventy. So, so yeah. So, so still less than. So still less than than the non-US NATO. Yeah. So this is the thing that um, there is an argument to be said that Europe isn't pulling its weight when it comes to defence, because if it weren't for America, probably most of other NATO members would spend more on their own militaries. Mm. So in a sense, the US is subsidising the rest. But the way Trump frames it is as if everyone else is completely would be defenseless without America. And America is has all of the bargaining chips when it comes to military power. And they really don't. The rest of NATO would be the biggest military apart from the US in the world. And frankly, 
yes, it is fair to say that if you've signed up to a treaty, you should meet your commitments. That's very true. And so, so, yeah, NATO members should aim to hit their 2% target. But the idea that we should, not only should we meet the 2% target, but we should meet double it and increase their spending for, you know, why? It's painfully ridiculous. By by an enormous quantity. By another whole percent of the entire American GDP. <laughs> and the thing is that that amount of money has to come from somewhere. Yes. And we know exactly where it will come from. In both the US and the UK, it will come from the healthcare system and it will come from welfare. Yes. Because those are the two areas that, well, in fairness, recent stories have shied away from cutting the NHS. Hmm. But That's partly because they can't get anything through Parliament. No. And also, there has been a real terms cut. Uh, if you factor in the NHS spending, it has to increase by 4% a year to keep up with demand. But yeah, in yeah. any case, yeah, that's where it will inevitably come. Hmm. So, so coming off the back of that, then, I can't imagine that Trump's meeting with May is going to be entirely rosy. Hmm. And she's uh, somewhat in turmoil, so. Yes, absolutely, as we shall come to. Well, sticking with an American theme, then, for a little bit, um, let's look at the probably the biggest story of the last couple of months to come out of America, which hmm. is the retirement of US Supreme Court Justice Andrew Kennedy hmm. and... Donald Trump's nominated replacement, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Mm. Or Kavanaugh, I'm not entirely sure how that's said. Mm-hmm. It's spelled Kavanaugh, I'm guessing it's pronounced Kavanaugh. Americans can correct me yeah. in the YouTube comments, I guess. Ugh. Well, American surnames are often from all over the place, but they're often the same. They pronounce it in a different American way. So it's always very confusing. <laughs> Kavanaugh is, I'm assuming, Irish, as is Kennedy. Mm. Yeah, yes. Yeah. spelling of it. But anyway, yes, yeah, so... Um, again, American listeners will probably know this, but British listeners won't. So yes. for those who aren't aware, uh, the Supreme Court in the United States is a court made up of nine justices. Um, it's the highest court in the United States and tends to hear very important cases of constitutional significance, as well as cases which get referred up to it, Court of Appeal. Um, various circuit courts of appeal, I should say. Mm-hmm. Kennedy was previously the most moderate justice on the court. He was a conservative uh, and appointed by a Republican, but... Over time, his uh, positioning had sort of shifted more to the left. Um, And so he would occasionally swing and vote with the liberals on such things as, for example, the legalization of gay marriage. Hmm. Yeah, so previously it was, there tended to be four judges that tended to side with the Democrats and four that tended to side with the Republicans and one, this chap, who would swing between the two, depending on the vote. Yeah. Um, He, Kennedy, has now retired, uh, which people have been suspecting he might do for a while. Um, but then when he didn't before the end of the most recent Supreme Court term, it seemed likely he wasn't going to. And then, surprisingly, a day later, he did mm. and caught everyone a bit on the hop. Now to replace him, uh, Donald Trump gets to, to nominate a candidate. He's already nominated a guy called Neil Gorsuch to fill a previous vacancy on the court, which should have been filled by Merrick Garland under mm. Barack Obama. But yes. that's by the by. So that's, a, um, that's a fairly important bit of context, okay. which is that previously, before the last election, Antonin Scalia, who was who was a justice before, died mm. in office, and so Obama, being the president, had to nominate a new candidate. But the but Congress also has to confirm it. But the precedent is that the Congress doesn't use its ability to block the candidate if it's an elected president, unless it's for obvious reasons of competence. Yes, but they broke with precedent and blocked him until the election, on the off chance that they would be able to get a Republican in and then nominate their own candidate, which of course worked. So Democrats feel that they have been cheated out of what should have been their nominee. And now he's got another nominee. So he's ended up being able to choose two of them when yep. 
the the best case scenario would have been that he wouldn't get to choose any of them. Now, at least with the previous case, where replacing Scalia with Gorsuch, he was replacing a fairly hardline conservative with a fairly hardline conservative. Yes. Whereas Obama would have replaced him with uh, Merrick Garland. A moderate. Democrat, Democrats tend to say he's a liberal, but he's really a moderate. Yeah. Moderate going on liberal on something. Yeah. But, um, but this By American particular standards. Yeah. But this particular case, um, Kennedy is a moderate, and Kavanaugh, who has been nominated to replace him, is very conservative. Hmm. Um, so according to the Judicial Commons base scores, um, if nominate, successfully nominated and approved, Kavanaugh would fall very slightly to the left of Clarence Thomas, who is currently the most right-wing judge on the court. Hmm. So if this nomination goes through, Trump will be essentially replacing a moderate with one of the most conservative justices possible. Yes. Would Antonin Scalia have been the most right-wing if he was still alive? No. Right. Thomas was Thomas was to the right of Scalia. Okay. Yeah. Gorsuch, uh, Tom, Scalia was sort of between Gorsuch and Thomas. Right. So, yeah. and it's also remembering worth remembering just how old many of the justices are, mm. especially the liberal ones. Yeah, well, there's no, there's no um, term limit or mandatory age of retirement no. like there is in the United Kingdom. So Supreme Court justices can serve until they retire. Uh, the oldest at the moment is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is a liberal justice who's 85. Yeah. So the two examples that I was going to give of, of things that the Supreme Court has done in sort of relatively recent years would be they ruled that the Constitution, that the um, protection of uh, equal protection under the law, which is in the Constitution, they ruled that that protects the rights to marry, even if you're a homosexual. So gay marriage nationally in America came about as a result of a ruling from this court. The other one would be Citizens United, which mm. rules that um, uh, th there are preceding rulings that run up to Citizens United, so it's not the only one, but basically it removes the restrictions on campaign donations to political parties, so it enormously increases the power of corporate lobbying. Essentially arguing in that case that corporate donations count as speech, so under the laws mandating free expression, corporations are entitled to express their opinion in inverted commas by giving money to whomever they choose hmm. basically corporations in america have more human rights than people do hmm. yeah and so that was the the preceding rulings ruled that corporations had the same rights as people they could legally be considered a person and that means that they have all the rights that a person has under the constitution including free speech and money counts as speech and so a corporation can give unlimited amounts of money to anyone and so it's unconstitutional according to those rulings to have any laws limiting the amount of corporate influence you can have over policy and uh, uh, those are great examples. Another one recently is um, there was a recent decision massively curtailing uh, union rights. There's um, uh, there was one that um, current Chief Justice Roberts swung on, which uh, upheld Obamacare. So th th these these rulings are coming uh, in like sort of the most recent terms. They are coming on both sides of the aisle, um, but on fairly like major and controversial uh, like cases. The the Muslim ban that was ruled unconstitutional. First of all, so they had to bring in a softer version of it afterwards. Yes. But part of the reason that this has been able to happen, that you've been able to get controversial rulings on both the liberal and conservative sides of things, is because you've had Kennedy in the middle who is willing to go either way, depending on how his conscience and interpretation of the law carries him. Hmm. Without him, and with his replacement being firmly on the right, the swing justice therefore becomes Chief Justice Roberts. And Roberts is considerably more conservative than Kennedy um, hmm. and has, according to 538, and I'll link this article in the show notes, only um, voted with the liberal bloc on five uh, occasions whereby it was a significant vote and his vote made the difference. Um, hmm. So he is not a very swingy justice at all. No. <laughs> so essentially what this allows Trump to do and allows the Republican Party to do is cement a majority hold on the Supreme Court 
potentially for decades to come because mm. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are both quite young, especially from court justices, and could potentially be there another 30, 40 years. Mm. You also have the fact that, again, a couple of the other justices, particularly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, are themselves getting quite old and so may retire or otherwise depart the bench, Mm. possibly before the end of Trump's term. Yes, especially if he gets a second second term. term. (laughs) Previously, the Supreme Court had been one part of the American uh, sort of political system that couldn't swing enormously towards the Republicans in the same way that every other part has. Because Republicans, Mm. since... Really, since Bill Clinton have been steadily taking over basically everything. They have a majority of Obama was a bit of a blip, but uh, they have a majority of state legislatures. They have a majority of governors. They have a majority. They have they control both houses of Congress. They have the president, and now they pretty much permanently have the Supreme Court as well. There is no part of the American government that is not pretty much completely controlled by Republicans, except for in individual states, places like California, where they have Democrats in uh, governor and both state legislatures. But the the biggest worry, really, for for many <coughs> Americans, has been Roe versus Wade. Uh, again, for non American oh, yeah. listeners, this is the landmark case, nineteen seven. I want to say certainly the sixties. Anyway, um, no, basically, it, this is the case which allows abortion to be legal nationwide in the United, United States of America. Mm. If this case is overturned, not only will it be possible for states to make abortion illegal, but there are actually a number of states, I believe around 11, who have laws already on the books that if abortion becomes technically possible to be banned, it will immediately be banned. Hmm. The laws are on the books, but are currently not enforced because the Supreme Court has ruled that they are unconstitutional. Yeah. But if Roe v. Wade actually, is overturned, she's still law. Yeah, they become enforceable that day. Hmm. Plus the fact that there are numerous other states that would then go on to try and ban. Them. Yeah, yeah. So this is... <clears throat> this sort of goes to show just how good at playing politics the evangelicals are. Mm. Because this is something that very often you hear from them if... Because they're all, they've spent 30 years drumming away on the family values, politeness, Christianity stuff. And then they have pretty much entirely jumped behind a president who opposes all of that Christian stuff. With the exception of the fact that he promised to be anti-abortion. Mm. And that is the reason that consistently evangelicals get. They say, no, we don't like him, but we've got our eyes on the prize. We want to get rid of abortion. Yeah. And it looks like they might get what they want. It might have worked, which is really worrying. Now, I should say that Kavanaugh hasn't said that he would be that he would overturn Roe versus Wade. Mm. He has kind of consistently taken the correct legal view in a common law in like America that Roe versus Wade is precedent. Yes, and precedent... yes these people aren't actually politicians; they are no. actually judges. Yes, and precedent shouldn't be overturned without good reason. This is principle called stare decisis, or to stand mm. by things decided, mm. which is. Uh, an English common law principle translated to America. Hmm. But the thing is, sometimes people change their minds or even lie, particularly yeah. when they're trying to get confirmed for one of the most powerful judicial positions mm-hmm. in the world. Mm. So there's no guarantee that he means that. There are a few things like this, though, that Trump could do just instantly. He has the power to do them, but he hasn't. For example, um, marijuana is illegal in the entire United States level. But Obama ordered the federal authorities not to enforce that law to allow states to decide whether they wanted on a state level to make it legal or illegal. But he didn't actually change the federal law. He just ordered the FBI not to enforce it. So that means that the president could just order them to start enforcing that law again without any change to the legal system. But he hasn't. Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has talked about doing this a lot. But so far, you're right. It doesn't seem a Trump priority. Mm. So uh, that's interesting. There there are things Mm. that he could do that he hasn't done. So it's 
So that, that would seem to suggest that if he's being consistent with that principle, that he wouldn't overturn Roe versus Wade, even though he could. Yeah, but the thing is, though, all it takes... If if the Supreme Court strikes down the, the precedent in Roe versus Wade, and to be clear, this would require a fresh case. They couldn't just unilaterally decide to do it. A, a relevant case would have to come up, but one would. Um, but if they did do this, then if Congress at that point is still controlled by the Republicans, they could pass a law banning abortion hmm. on the federal level because it would no longer be unconstitutional to do so. Now, whether they get that through Congress, I don't know. I don't think they would at the moment because there are two Republican senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are at least softly pro-choice. Yes. And the Republican um, Senate majority is one. Yes. It's 51-49 at the moment. Yeah, well, functionally, it's zero because John McCain yeah, yeah. is very ill and can't well, vote. That makes but they could break the time. Yeah, and they could break... Yeah. They and could also break because of the filibuster, you need to have a certain amount of consensus in the Senate anyway. Uh, yeah, although they, they keep talking about getting rid of that. I'm not sure how long that's going to be a thing for. Yeah, but it, it's, it's been quite a long time that they've been talking about getting rid of it as well. Well, they've got rid of it for um, appointments and for judi- that's they've got rid of it for judicial confirmations. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. A few the- years ago, this would have taken... 60 votes to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, but now it only takes 51. Yeah, yeah. There's, or 50 plus the vice president. And there are lots of ways around it. Like if you attach it to a budget bill and, uh, or a confidence yeah. motion, then you can't filibuster that. So, yeah. yeah. There are ways around the filibuster. Which is how they tried to get mm. uh, Obamacare mm. repeal through, but failed last time. Yeah. And, and, and filibusters are against parliamentary procedure in most parliaments worldwide. Yeah. But you're, they love you're not America. supposed to do it in the British Parliament, for example. Although people do. People do. There was that upskirt law recently, wasn't there, that yeah. was blocked by a guy just pointlessly filibustering. Yeah, yeah. And then he claimed afterwards that it was because proper parliamentary procedures hadn't been observed, which was true and sort of fair enough until you notice he's done this loads and loads of times yeah, to yeah. just anything remotely <laughs> like pro-social equality. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. Consistent theme going on here. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure I buy his argument. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yes, the question therefore is, Will the Republicans be able to hold on to, the co- uh, hold on to both houses of Congress um, this November? I think it's likely they'll lose the House. Yes. I, I think if the election was tomorrow, uh, Democrats would... Are, um, actually, I think... Because de- those Democrats have to win by so, mu- so much to win the House. I think if the election was tomorrow, it would probably be pretty much on a knife edge. Yeah. Um, but, but I think they've been doing well enough in special elections that we can... I think we can be fairly confident that the, the Democrats have a better chance than even of taking the House. Mm-hmm. Whether but they'll take the Senate... by no means nails on. No, Never underestimate not. the ability of the Democrats to be bad politics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as I say, the, the Senate is a much tougher prospect because they've got a lot of Senate um, seats that they themselves are defending yes. in red states. Yeah, it, well, it tends to be that Democrats do better in the Senate, but because it's only elected in thirds, the ones yeah. that are up at the moment aren't particularly favourable for the Democrats. No, exactly. Yeah. I think it's... I, if I if I had to put money on it, I'd say they'll take the House, but the Senate will remain just Republican. Yeah. Which will mean nothing will be able to get done, which under a Trump presidency is probably a good thing. Yes. Which uh, is pretty much the status quo. Yeah. Although at the moment, nothing can get done because the Republicans can't. Whereas yes. <laughs> <laughs> shortly it will be like, at least there'll be a reason why nothing's getting done. Along with the question of which party will continue to control both houses of Congress, there's another change which is likely to happen under the surface, which is that the Democrats that there are in the, in the House, and to an extent in the Senate, are likely to get significantly more left-wing, or rather left-wing Democrats are likely to be a larger portion of the Congressional Party. Mm-hmm. And a recent and quite sort of high-profile example of this is um, a primary election that's... It's, the actual general election hasn't happened yet, but uh, the, it's in a very, very Democratic di- district. So whoever wins the Democratic primary is likely to become the congressperson. And a socialist running in New York, called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has won the primary by a significant margin um, against the, I think, 
What was his name? Joseph Crowley. Joseph Crowley, that was it. The, the, the fourth most important Democrat in the House. Yes. The one everyone expected to take over from Nancy Pelosi when she eventually stops being Speaker. Oh, well, uh, minority leader, but yeah. Uh, sorry, yes. Speaker's the yeah. Senate. Yeah. Um, no, Speaker's the Republican. Is it? Yeah, the, spe the Speaker is the majority leader in oh. in in uh, the House. What do they call it in the Senate, then? The Senate is... Do they just call it the majority leader? Yeah, it's just called the Senate majority leader. Okay, fair enough. And then they have oh, the yeah. president pro tempore, which is a weird position, which is technically fourth in the line of succession to the presidency, but no yes. one knows who he is. It's very odd. And the only reason I don't even know that is because I've seen the West Wing too many times. Yes, um. <laughs> yes because technically the vice president is the president of the Senate. Yes, that's and correct. So the president pro tempore is his representative in the Senate because the right. vice president can't be a senator. No. <laughs> it's very odd. It's it's. I think it's a it's a weird attempt to be a bit Roman, but basically English. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's a lot of the weird things about American parliamentary systems is okay. We're going to take an basically English parliamentary system, which is based on Germanic custom, but force weird bits of Roman law into it for yeah. fun. <laughs> which is why it works so well. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, yes. Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a uh, uh, member of the Democratic Socialists of America, which is a, a new political party which is kind of a separate entity and kind of the left wing of the Democratic Party. Hmm. It's a bit fuzzy because in America, parties aren't really parties like we have them in Europe. No, you're allowed to be a member of more than one. Yeah, well, you can, run as, you can run as a Democrat if you fancy it. Yes, like Bernie Sanders. Like Bernie Sanders. But yeah, I, I should also point out that this is this is mainly just for novelty fun, but according to a quick Google, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has just won a second primary in a district where she didn't even run. <laughs> right. <in>. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think she's quite popular. Yeah, she's she, she's going to very likely become uh, get into Congress now. Yeah, it's because it's massively democratic. All of the, uh, the media coverage that she's gotten and that's and she's got quite high profile now for a for just a mm. um, a regular congressperson. Um, oh yeah, assuming she gets into the house, yes. which is a good a safe assumption. Yeah. She will be easily the most well-known, I would say probably definitely the most well-known left-wing democrat yeah. in the, in the the house. Probably and the pro most well-known democrat with the exception after, of Nancy Pelosi. After Pelosi, yeah, absolutely. Um which yeah, is so great. Which means that she stands a good chance of becoming a governor or a senator down the line and then mm. maybe president at some point. <laughs> Yeah, should be good. I'd, I'd vote for it if I was American. I, I, yeah, as would I. I was thirty-eight. You know, twenties, right? She's twenty-eight. Yeah, she's six years older than us. Yeah. And she's... What are we doing with our lives, David? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get a degree. <laughs> That's true. I've got a degree. You've, you have got a degree. Yeah. I'm trying to get another one. A better one. <laughs> yeah, upgrade, man. A bigger version of the same degree. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a different degree. That would be silly. <laughs> Although I do, I have been talking about doing a physics degree for ages. Yes, because I'm, great I'm jealous. Fun. I'm jealous of you. Go on. That's what it is. It's great fun. I have no, I've borrowed my friend's copies of the Feynman lectures on physics. Oh, and they're, that's they're, good. They're sat on my shelf, looking invitingly at me, <laughs> but I, I still have to chew through Hegel first. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Save me from I've, Hegel and I've, Ricardo as well. <laughs> I've read the Phenomenology. I have not read the Feynman lectures all the way through, but I do have a copy. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But they're more, they're, more textbooks. they're meant for reference anyway, but. Yeah. Anyway, anyway we've, off again. we've done a weird tangent, <laughs> yeah. but that's fine because I like weird tangents. They make the podcast more interesting. Yes. Yes. Um, where were we? Oh, yes, she's young. Yeah, <laughs> um, she's young, and also, as you may have guessed from her name, Hispanic. Yes, she's Puerto Rican, isn't she? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Or, or or second generation Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah. Well, sort of. Because Puerto Rico is in America. Yeah, I know. I I, th I thought that as I said it, but not... she wasn't yeah. born in Puerto Rico. No, they often get called immigrants, but they because it's not a state. But no, they're not really though, immigrants, are they? They're obviously, just people who moved be. from one part of America to a different part of America. Yes, but because they a lot of them speak Spanish, they look different, and it's not mm. a state. 
So they end up getting called immigrants. Statehood for Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. It's bigger than several, lots of states. Yeah. It's just that it's very democratic. And people moan about the 51 stars, but there is a solution to this. Also statehood for American Samoa. Yeah, yeah. Which or should also put obviously it on the have it. <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm not convinced you know how flags work. That's the kind of comment I'd expect from Jordan. <laughs> For people who yeah. don't know who Jordan is, go to episode six. Yeah, yeah, we've mentioned Jordan before, haven't we? <laughs> He's been on the podcast. Oh, yes, yes. That was the one where he asked whether Kurdistan was a person. Yes. It's not. <laughs> it's not. I mean, there's a few billion people on Earth. One of them might be called Kurdistan. I, if Jordan ever has a child, he should name <laughs> it He should name it Kurdistan. Yes. Just or for a laugh. Aimed to Kurdistan by Deepol. That's true. That's probably cheaper. And, you know, well, than having a whole child. They're not cheap to raise, don't No, it? and you have to buy a whole one. Yeah, you can't just you can't have just, half. No. It's frowned upon yeah. to have half a child. You're considered to have failed as a parent mm. if you only have half. Well, in a manner of speaking, you have half, because you share it, don't you? Well, you can do, it's optional. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We've wandered off again. We're brushing dangerously close to gender politics, yeah. and that's that's not somewhere that two white men need to go. Yes. Also, the so, whole back. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Do you require hornet removal time? It's staying near the window, so I'm going to leave it for the moment. Okay, probably for the best. Okay. If it does come It's just flown out the window. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> Clever hornet. Is it the same one, I'm, do you think? I, I'm not sure. I sort of hope it is, because otherwise you may have a nest. Yeah. We've had a nest before. That wasn't fun. <laughs> Wasps' nests are bad enough. Hornets' nests sound mm. terrifying. Last year was the first year for almost my entire life thus far that I, don't, that I didn't get stung by a wasp. I stung by wasps a lot. I, I have only been stung by a wasp once. Oh, really? Yeah. That's done it. It it really does. <laughs> it's it's not an experience ones. I care to repeat. Do you know people actually use this is a thing now. We're really off, off on a tangent yeah. now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna plow on <laughs> No, no, go for people it. People actually use and I think this is this is mostly the ladies, but they actually use bee venom to plump up their lips. That oh, is a God. thing, which I believe I believe it's a Kardashian Jenner innovation in inverted commas but do yeah. they get it straight from the bee or does it no it, i, I believe it? you can buy it pre-packaged right because that sounds cruel if it's straight from the bee for the well, bee that is i i personally think that it's it's cool to both parties yes yeah. straight from the bee but I, I i also sort of think that at least it would be more natural like i've always mm. had a certain respect for people that like hunt and kill their own food yeah yeah <laughs> and I've, I've i feel like you shouldn't be allowed to eat meat if you haven't at least like skinned an animal and f- for the same reason i feel like you shouldn't be allowed to inject yourself with bee venom unless you did it like captured with the, the bee, bee yourself yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it sounds weird but it's not really that much weirder than botox if you think about it because that's just basically botulism toxin it's, it's a lot less weird really yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's like would you prefer bee or botulism well yeah. if i Probably, had to pick broadly i would rather get stung by a bee than than eat something which was contaminated with botulism yeah Prostrating yeah. botulinum, rather. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to put my name to that as well. Mm. Yes, well, that, that's going on the manifesto. Absolutely. Uh, yes. It's not exactly 1848, but we'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> 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 Blimey, is that the fascist thing? Hmm? Am I thinking of something else? No, 1848 was the year that they, Marx and Engels published the Communist Manifesto. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. How could you, David? Yeah, sorry. What was I thinking <sighs> of then? There's a set of two... There's a, there's a four-digit number that is... Oh, yeah, you mean... You mean uh, 1488? That's the one. Which is uh, the 14, which is the white supremacist cataclysm about uh, a future for ourselves and white children. There's more than yep. actually. Cause... And then 88 is HH for high. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very silly. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an even quicker way to tell that the person that you're arguing with online is a Nazi than mm. if they put little brackets around everyone's Yeah, name. yeah. Right. Doesn't that mean they're, they're basically saying this person is secretly Jewish? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily secret. They oh, just okay. want to make sure that if you're talking about someone who's Jewish, you know that yeah. they're Jewish. 
But then a lot of Jewish people started putting the brackets around their own names. Yeah, as yeah. Sort of like a, like a reclamation thing. Yeah. And then a lot of people who aren't Jewish but <laughs> are friends with people who are Jewish started doing it as kind of like an ally thing. And oh, it's, right. now I'm really confused. Yeah, that just gets confusing. I always have to check when I see the brackets. Like, okay, is that the person's own name? In which case, they're probably a nice person. Yes. Or is it a different person's name, in which case they're mm. probably a fascist. And also, it's... there's the confusion of the fact that people do use brackets for other things as well. You're generally not triple brackets. Yeah, that's unless, true. Unless you're, unless you're reading some really complicated maths. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. That has occasionally true. happened in the course of my physics degrees that I that's have true, caused yeah. to write down three brackets in a row. And I do think, you... hang on, hang on a minute, you... is there a yeah. way I can rephrase this so that that's do you have <laughs> Do you have many Jewish equations in your <laughs> physics degree? Like, I suppose... Well, I'd say... Yeah, that's true. And part of the reason why he didn't win the Nobel Prize for... Well, possibly part of the reason why he didn't win the Nobel Prize for relativity is because there was a sort of anti-Semitic um, faction that opposed his nomination. Right. I didn't realise that, uh, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Euler was not Jewish. I don't know where I got that from. Oh, right. You but, didn't yeah. You didn't say that he was, but okay. I did, but you I did think you? Oh, sorry, sorry. You, you must have missed it. Yeah, fair enough. Nice. Yeah, I just don't listen to you, really. No. Yeah. <laughs> We like to we like to mimic our, our friends on the alt right by just shouting randomly into the ether <laughs> and hoping that someone somewhere is listening. God, we're not the alt left, are we? Do you know what? <laughs> the thing is with alt left as a term is I've seen it thrown around to like refer to like Navara Media and Squawk Box and those yeah. kinds of like new left wing blogs, mm. and I can kind of see where people are coming from. But at least the alt left are broadly speaking based in reality. <laughs> They're ta- they can be quite tabloidy and they can be quite aggressive. And I don't always like the tone in which they write their articles. Mm. Although Navarra Media is a bit of a... But they are at least more or less normally at least factually correct. Mm. Whereas that's not really true. If they still think, you know, humans can be biologically classified into distinct races. Yeah. Like it's 1796 or something. <laughs> so... It's just, aside from being appalling, it's also just scientifically inaccurate. Yeah. I mean... I... I don't know, is it is it worse to be if it if it was true, it would still be awful it still, to still not go be. on about it. Mm. It would not be the basis of a political movement. No. Anyway, right, we should yeah. we should definitely like That's pull it back on track. This tangent has gone on for far too bloody long. Yes. We're gonna pull back and talk about the next thing on the list, which yes. was our main story. Oh goodness. Our main story today, ladies and gentlemen, concerns Brexit. Yeah. Because of course it does. <laughs> Concerns? Breakfast. Breakfast is good. Yes. I prefer breakfast to Brexit. I, that is, I think the best thing about Brexit is the fact that it sounds like breakfast, and people say the word breakfast more often, and so occasionally say breakfast instead of Brexit. This... Yep, if I had to pick my favourite thing about Brexit, that would be it. Yep, Brexit means breakfast as well. Competition is not stiff, <laughs> but that is my favourite thing. recently saw a thing of um, John McDonnell accusing the government of sliding towards a chaotic breakfast. <laughs> I thought, I've just got an image of Theresa May covered in jam. <laughs> you don't want a chaotic breakfast. Breakfast is such an important meal. It, it, should, it, be, it should be dignified. It should be subject to a parliamentary vote on the final deal. <laughs> the final meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Even when we get onto our main story, we start it with a tangent. Right, okay, so... Basically, yes. the ongoing drama that surrounds the United Kingdom's attempt to withdraw peacefully from the European Union has produced, in the last couple of days, some fun mm. to wit. Alexander Boris de Pfeffel Johnson, to give him his full obnoxious name. Yes. To be fair, his parents... Esquire. But, Esquire. No, actually, it's probably Right Honourable, isn't it? That's true, actually. Anyway, the Right Honourable Alexander Boris de Pfeffel Johnson MP um, has resigned as Foreign Secretary. Sorry, Secretary of State. Sorry, Her Majesty Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs. I'm going to stop doing this. And David Davis, actually slightly before Boris, um, 
pound in the Boris jar. Um, accidentally, <laughs> slightly before Johnson, has also resigned as Secretary of State for the Department for Exiting the European Union. Mm. He's also taken his one of his junior ministers with him, and uh, a couple of Tory uh, party vice chairs have also gone, and I think a couple of other like, like PPSs and stuff, but parliamentary private secretaries. Mm. But they don't really matter. Basically, the big ones are Boris Johnson and David Davis. Yes. And then Stephen Baker, the, the junior minister at Dexia, is probably the other important one. Mm. And they, they were two particularly well-known senior members of the government who were known to be pro-Brexit before the referendum. Yes. Well, I, Boris wrote the two letters, didn't he? But, uh, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Oh, that was funny. I saw someone suggest the other day that I bet Boris, before resigning, wrote himself two letters, one suggesting he did and one suggesting that he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the joke's on that person because actually he Boris Johnson didn't officially resign. Downing Street re- reported to the press that he had resigned before he'd actually finished oh, writing wow. his resignation letter. <laughs> Because Theresa May was just so fed up with his shit. And frankly, in this occasion, I sympathise. Yeah. So, we're down a Boris Johnson, we're down a David Davis. Mm. Uh, They have been replaced by, unless I've forgotten the names of two people already, uh, Matt Hancock. And Jeremy Hunt. Yes. So, Matt Hancock is... Sorry, no. Ah, start again. Mm -hmm. Boris Johnson has been replaced as Foreign Secretary by Jeremy Hunt, Mm. who was previously the Health Secretary. Jeremy Hunt, in turn, has been replaced by Matt Hancock. Right. As health secretary, um, David Davis at the Department of Exit in the EU has been replaced by Dominic Raab. So, what do we think is the upshot of all reshuffling? Well, there's two major upsides, which is that Boris Johnson is out of the government. That's one. Hooray! And Jeremy Hunt has no longer health secretary. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yes. We might still have an NHS. Yes, we've moved away, away from the danger zone and into the the rest of the world can deal with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is with Foreign Secretary is with most foreign policy under the purview of Downing Street in practical terms and with the Department for XU and the Department for International Trade being pretty useless but also taking away some more responsibility. Mm. The Foreign Office at the moment is pretty, like, it's pretty weak. It doesn't mm. have that much actual responsibility on a day-to-day basis. Its main job is to host events, which actually, I should point out, Boris Johnson failed to do because he resigned in the morning when he was supposed to host an EU summit in the afternoon, and people turned up, including, you know, ministers from foreign government, and there was no one there to meet them. Because Boris Johnson is a venal, self-serving... I'm not going to say the word I was going to say. decided that he was going to resign at that point, and so didn't turn up, but hadn't actually resigned, so they just had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And frankly, even if he had actually resigned by that point, he should still have turned up to the meeting that he was already supposed to be at yeah. and, you know, made his excuses. Mm. But no, Boris Johnson only exists to serve Boris Johnson. Yeah, very much so. Because he's, he's obviously got this ambition to try and be Prime Minister one day, but he's been trying to do it for so long that he's made so many enemies in the party. I just don't think it's going to happen now. No, I don't think it's going to happen. Stephen Bush at the New Statesman has been fairly emphatic that he doesn't think that he's got a chance anymore. No. And Stephen Bush is usually bang on on these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um... He's, I, yeah, like you say, he's made so many enemies in the party, and I think his his shine's worn off with the like, the general population as well. Like, when he was like mayor he was... of London, he was popular because he was goofy and could kind of get away with it. And also, he delegated most of his work. Yeah, yeah. It was a good job for him, because he could be this sort of mascot for London while delegating his work to the rest of the um, London Assembly team. And vice mayors. He had so many vice Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is um, a silly word. Yeah. And also, he, he sort of... He rode in with all the Cameron types. Mm. That was his clan within the party, and they have all left now because of brexit yeah the old and kind of because of him yeah i mean <laughs> by the end i think him and cameron and him and osborne very much hated one another mm. the, re- the reason he was still in government was because theresa may needed a big person from the brexit campaign and he was 
a major leader in that. And also, I think, wanted him inside the tent, pissing out. Yeah, very much so. But, I mean, some of the things His he stock was very high at that moment. It's not anymore. Yeah. I mean, he nearly got um, a... I can't remember her name, but he nearly got a woman who was imprisoned in Iran killed. Oh, God, yeah. I over a, a, like, false allegations that she was a spy. Mm. It, she, he did succeed in getting her jail sentence extended to beyond what it would otherwise have been. Yeah, because she, she'd, she'd, she'd been arrested on the, on, on the charges that she was a spy, and he yeah. sort of implied that they were correct in public. Which was just wrong, because she was yeah. there on holiday. Yeah. I mean, he should have resigned there and then, frankly, but yeah. no. He, he carried on and was allowed to resign at a moment of his own choosing. Although, admittedly, slightly preempted by Theresa, at least mm. slightly gratifying. Yeah. And I'm sure she's glad to be rid of Yes. So, that's the upsides to this. Yeah. Um, oh, and it will destabilise the government. Uh, which, which, you know, is always fun to watch. Yeah. It's... So, because Brexit is so near now, it would be very difficult to hold a general election, change government, and then have that new government start negotiating again. I think virtually impossible, yeah. unfortunately. Even it would be very difficult to hold a leadership election within the Tory party. I know they don't really hold proper elections, so they can do them very quickly. But... Well, that's one of the primary reasons why um, they haven't had one, is because a, a number of Conservative backbenchers have said that, that they just can't afford one at the moment. They haven't yeah. the time. And the other reason, of course, is that the, the all the pro-Remain or pro-soft Brexit Tories know full well that if they do get rid of Theresa May, then the next Tory leader will be a Brexiteer, yeah. and they don't want that. Yeah, a, a Brexit means Brexit, but basically a sort of soft Remainer was about mm. the best they could possibly have hoped for as the new Prime Minister. Yes. You know, go, and, they could have been Boris, could have been Michael Gove, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't, it was Theresa May. Well, that's interesting as well, because before, so the, the thing that precipitated the resignations of both Davis and Johnson was this meeting at Chequers, which, yes. as I said earlier, is uh, the Prime Minister's grace and favour pad in the countryside. Hmm. Um, and Theresa May basically locked them all in a room, quite literally, with no mobile phones and no access to their advisors, and said, no one is leaving until <laughs> like we have it. agreed a position. Yeah, exactly like the thick of it. Great episode. <laughs> because my... Because my mind is in give mode, not receive mode. <laughs> yes, that's, that's and ho. <laughs> yes, and ho. If you haven't seen the thick of it, this will make no sense, but you should watch it. Let's do away with computers. <laughs> Can't say the next line because it's a bit rude. But, <laughs> it is. but, um, but yeah, so, so this deal basically came out that Theresa May wanted a fairly soft Brexit. Not the softest of soft Brexits mm. by any means, but uh, too too soft for the kind of hard Brexit is. She basically wanted to have some kind of um, alignment on customs and the UK to remain in the single market for goods, which we should remind everyone at this point, is legally mandated by the fact she has agreed legally that there will be no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Yes. In order for that to happen, there has to be a single market in the UK and EU forwards. Yes. Or us. a border in the Irish Sea, which is completely impossible for any UK yeah, Prime yeah. Minister. And especially one that's relying on the DUP for your yeah. parliamentary majority. The thing is, this is the government's proposal. They then have to take this to the EU and get it negotiated. Absolutely. And the EU pro like, made it fairly clear that they don't want a single market if it's not the full single market. Yeah. They don't like the idea of a single market for goods, but not the free movement of goods, services, capital and people. At the very least, this will incur responsibilities on us. We will probably have to pay for this privilege. Like, yes. At minimum. It's mm. entirely possible that Michel Barnier, the EU chief negotiator, will just tell Britain where to get off. Mm. But even if he does end up accepting a version of this plan... It it, it it will not be as simple the Conservatives yeah. want. And the thing is, what they're trying to do is they're trying to mash together a customs union in order to allow frictionless trade with the EU and no hard border with the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And the fact that we want to have the ability to sign our own free trade agreements. Which is impossible. Which runs completely counter to the whole point of the customs union. The whole yeah. idea of the customs union is that every member of it negotiates trade deals together. Which is why the, the language in the Chequers deal doesn't say customs union, it says something along the lines of alignment. Yes. But that's just a fudge, and yeah. that fudge will break down when it comes to the hard graft of legal negotiations. Mm. It's basically, 
EU to accept our promise that we yeah. won't strike trade deals which contradict their trade deals, and in return, they will just not set up any customs checks between the UK and the EU. But we also want to be free from the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. Yes. But which the European the Court of Justice mechanism. is the only existing dispute mechanism to rule over the single market yeah. and the customs union. Now, okay, it is in theory possible to create a separate court to have a jurisdiction over the particular relationship between the UK and the EU. But that is basically going to be a carbon copy of the European Court of Justice, just with UK judges added in, mm. or rather not taken out. Mm. And at this point, we're starting to develop shades of a NAFTA-style agreement, like with North America. Yeah. Which is an enormous problem for... Uh, if, if there was a single thing in the, it was in the 90s, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, if there was a single thing in the 90s, ever, you know... Um, uh, trade unions and environmental activists and basically any popular music in America, it was opposing NAFTA. Because it's a terrible idea and has brought down the living of workers in the United States. Yeah. So if you're going to have a free trade zone without any political integration, the danger is always that it just becomes a corporate power grab. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's more than just a danger. It's the whole point of them. That's yeah, yeah, what basically. TTIP was going to be. That's yeah, yeah. what the Trans-Pacific Partnership was going to be. That's what this new thing that they're talking about, which is a Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, yeah, the American East Asian one. Yeah, the new like fudge which it's just the same old nonsense with different language to try and make people swallow it yeah, yeah. but you know all right so what i was going to say is that this is basically it, what it comes down to is a fundamental flaw in the whole idea of brexit really back to the reason why i didn't vote for it in the first place hmm. which is that if britain wants independence from the eu but without it's impossible to have independence from the eu without severing links with it fundamentally absolutely because we will be a much smaller partner right next to a much bigger trading block so we will be in its sphere of influence, no matter what. Completely leaving aside the fact that we are physically chained to them through Ireland. And the Channel Tunnel. And the Channel Tunnel, yes, of course. But you can put customs checks on that without um, stirring up, you know, centuries-old problems. Uh, you say that, but I mean, the, 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 the <laughs> point about whether to put customs checks at our end or at the French end... That's true. It, that, that... that comes back to, do we manage to keep Calais? There's the whole thing that Agincourt was about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it literally is a centuries-old problem. To go back to the football for a moment, yeah, it was amazing how quickly that we were likely, if we got to the finals, to face the French. How quickly oh. the references to Agincourt came out. <laughs> it's, just, it's been over it's the only battle years. anyone can remember. <laughs> Even though Cressy was more important. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah but Longbows are cool. Yeah. And we lost that war anyway in the end. Well, sort of. We were winning for most of it, but the French got France back. Yeah, but we kept England. True, <laughs> but we. I mean, by the legal right of. Uh, succession to the throne at that time we should have had france as well that's very true actually yeah. so you know we did sort of lose so in the same way that america is a rebel colony kind of france is a rebel colony of britain as well absolutely <laughs> we kept the fleur-de-lis on the english coat of arms we do out of spite customs union yes um, no after that yes uh, we will always be in the eu's sphere of influence hmm. now, or the only the only alternative to that is to sign ourselves up to the american sphere of influence yes ah yes that's where i was going with this which is that there are four indisputably developed Western countries which are not part of either of the big poles of the West, which is the European Union and, for one of a better term, the American Union, the US. And those are, three of them have similar deals with the EU, Iceland, Norway and Switzerland, which all have very close relationships with the EU, mm -hmm. uh, including free movement of people. Yep. The other being Canada. Now, Canada is part, is essentially, is to America... It can be considered as to America what, for example, Norway, Iceland and Switzerland are to the EU. It's a country that is much smaller than it, just outside of it. But the thing is, Canada is significantly bigger than any of those, so it maintains more independence from America than those three do. If there is a model for Britain outside of the EU, 
it's probably going to be more like Canada's relationship with America than, for example, Norway's relationship with the EU, I reckon. The difference is being that um, Britain is bigger than Canada in terms of its, our economy. And so we have more bargaining power than Canada does. Yeah. Um, but that we, because of the Irish border, have to have some kind of customs union with the EU in yes. order to maintain frictionless travel across that. And Canada can sign it. It doesn't have a customs union with America, I don't think. No, I don't, no it can't do because it's signing its own trade deal with the Yeah. So it's a, it's a trickier version of the same thing. But the, the best case scenario, as far as I see it, is that because Canada's sort of social and political model is, an, is to an extent an attempt to balance the US and the European model. They have a yeah. lot of that sort of, you know, rugged individualist ideas from America, but they have strong social policies and uh, universal health care and a parliamentary system and what have you from Europe. If Britain plays its cards right, in the best case scenario, that will basically be where I think we'll end up in sort of straddling between the two big poles of the Western world, not entirely part of either of them, and with a much closer relationship to the one that we're immediately adjacent to, which is what Canada's already doing. Yes. It'll be more complicated because there are complications with the EU, because everything is complicated with the EU. But if we get it right, that's about where we'll probably end up. As That's quite optimistic. I'm far more pessimist. Yeah. Oh, I'm much more pessimistic if I'm talking about what I think's going to happen. Yes. That's my best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, as a best case scenario, that, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about it in that way. But mm. yes, now you say it, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. But the, the checkers plan is, is nowhere near that. That's, no. That's not and, a solution. And, and the thing is, the checkers plan just, just will not pass the House no. of Commons. Because there's there's no reason it can't for get any... the, it can't get the Tory party to unite it can't get the cabinet no. to unite around it no. it can't get the Tory party to unite around it it can't get Parliament to unite around it and it definitely can't get the EU on board with it no. so it's not it's a non-starter yeah. assuming assuming that the DUP stay on side yeah oh, I forgot about the DUP the, the the Conservatives can only afford seven defections right and there's definitely going to be a lot more there than will that be more than on either the Brexit or Remain side so ah, that this... is if they don't bring Labour votes this was a suggestion that really riled up the Brexiteers for a while which is that Theresa May might just go a bit firmer on the soft Brexit remain side and try yeah. and bring more Labour votes over. That's true. But the, the Chequers plan will not do that. No, no, not so, at all. So, yes, yeah, so it is theoretically possible to go softer on the Brexit and bring Labour remainers over. Mm. I, I saw an interview with Jacob Rees-Mogg where he was, he was being very careful with the way he phrased it, but it was clear that sort of under the surface he was suggesting that if she goes for that plan, she's unlikely to last very long as Prime Minister. Which is probably true. It's probably true. If you start relying on the votes of a party that doesn't want you to be Prime Minister, and yeah. not relying on the votes of the party that fundamentally does want you to be Prime Minister, at some point you're going to lose a vote of confidence. And we've already seen that in the aftermath of the Chequers Agreement and the resignations, the small Tory lead, which had been opening up, appears like it may be closing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think we've only had a couple of polls and one was tied and one's a two-point Labour lead. Mm. So it's 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 only it's it's a bit too early to tell, but the trend looks like it may go that way. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll know more in a week or well, so. If we're considering the possibilities for another election, <clears throat> considering how well Labour did last time and that their poll gains started the moment that the rules changed to campaign rules and stopped the moment they stopped, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to assume that Labour tend to do much better under Jeremy Corbyn when there's a campaign going on and don't do as well off-season. So if there were a campaign, Labour would probably start doing better than they're currently doing. The counter-argument to that, of course, is that the surge that Jeremy Corbyn had in the run-up to the previous election is all of the voters that a strong Labour campaign is capable of attracting. Possibly, but the fact that the gains stopped the moment the election of actual election day, it seems unlikely that, by, completely by coincidence, mm -hmm. that they would have run out of possible Labour voters to gain 
But that's true. And, 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 at the moment of the election. and in actual fact, I believe that at the moment, the Labour are still polling around 39%, which is below their peak. In yeah, the their peak was nearly 45. Yeah. Very so, well. so there are at least like six percentage points of people who previously said they would vote Labour. Yes. So there's um, that. There's the fact that they are starting from a much more... Corbyn is viewed much more positive than he, than he was yes. just before the election. And um, also UKIP. And Yes, and also UKIP. So without... The, so at the last election, Labour did very well to gain lots of votes. But the Conservatives gained lots of votes as well mostly from taking in UKIP people. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to the, the breakdown YouGov polling that came after, asking people why they voted for the parties, for Labour it tended to be, oh, I like the policies, whatever. For the Conservatives, a lot of it was, I don't like Jeremy Corbyn, and I want to see Brexit put through. Without Brexit, and with Corbyn being viewed more, not more positively, but less negatively than he used to be, he's still not very well liked in the country for some reason. And um, briefly, he was in positive figures. Yeah, yeah. For a while, he was better than Theresa May. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... It seems that Labour are in a much... Because they, they lost by about 1% at the last election. And the things that would be different this time is that the Conservatives wouldn't have their wedge issue and Labour would be starting from a much stronger position. Yes. So I think even though whoever's in, in the poll lead at the moment the election is called, I think compared to the last election, Labour have a better chance. Because they were massive underdogs last time and they almost won. And this time, yeah. they're sort of, you know, it's, it's a question, it's a toss-up as to who would win at this point. Yeah. Uh, oh, another thing I would quickly like to mention, um, going back to the resignations point, I would just, it's probably worth briefly talking about who Dominic Raab and Matt Hancock are. Oh, yeah, yeah, good idea. Um, so the new Secretary for the Department of Exiting the EU, Dominic Raab, he is, he's sort of considered to be one of the more kind of libertarian members of the Tory party. So he, he, he contributed to um, a pamphlet called uh, Britannia Unchained. Um, oh, along with that. along with people called uh, other people like Preeti Patel, mm. um, I think there were five of them. Liz Truss was another. Uh, those are the three that have ministers. Um, so, and this was a kind of a libertarian um, slant uh, in the in the kind of um, American right wing libertarian yeah, sense yeah. of, of turbocharged free market capitalism, and but also a measure of social liberty. Um, Although it tends to be that that the way they sell themselves rhetorically it tends to be that they say we're we're putting together these two things. Mm. But in practice, they tend to lean much harder on the economic yeah, un unchained capitalism. That's they, the thing they and they will compromise about. much more easily on the social policy stuff. Yeah. And they don't really push for it when they actually get in power. So. Although, well, although, for, I, I do maybe Ron Paul... Is yeah, I was going to say, occasionally they do. Ron yeah. Paul is, is the only pr prominent libertarian that I've ever seen uh, who will take time if he gets media attention and, and use his platform to actually push for the other aspects of libertarianism, like the anti-war stuff and the civil rights stuff and what have you. But yeah, so so that's that's Dominic Raab in a nutshell. And and Matt Hancock, the new health secretary, is um he is, I believe, a former that's right, he was previously the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport. Um and he was he's considered to have done fairly well there, mastered his brief quite quickly, um, and been fairly sort of well liked by the department. Um but now he's at health and he does have links with an anti NHS think tank. The Institute of Economic Affairs, um, which is under investigation by mm. by the Charity Commission, mm. so there are some slightly dodgy prospects there for his his new role as health mm. secretary. But that that's fairly consistent if he's a conservative. That a True. lot of them have links like that. Yeah, well, I mean, quite a lot of them own shares in pharmaco yeah. uh, pharmacological companies and yeah. things like that. So to be fair, that's true of a lot of Labour as well. Yeah, it tends to be of the neoliberal section of Labour. Yeah, the uh, new like, um, uh, Owen Smith. He was a former lobbyist for the pharmacological industry. Mm, that's true. <laughs> I remember during the, the second Labour leadership election, it was, what's the song? The Karma Chameleon thing. 
but it had been changed to Farmer Chameleon because he used to be a farmer lobbyist and he keeps I changing his so. policy positions. I don't think I actually heard that one. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> oh, I might have to look that up. That's just I'll stick it in the show notes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah lovely. <laughs> um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I was completely gone. <laughs> Cycle back for a minute. Um, I'm, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty much done on that. Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, so the story of Jeremy Hunt being a very, very not well-liked health secretary reminds me a lot of Michael Gove being a very, very not-liked education secretary. Mm. But when he was moved out of the education department, he didn't seem to be as in his new departments. And the new education secretary didn't get so much heat for being so terrible. He's, he's considered to have done quite well at environment, I think. Yeah. Like, you know, from a, from a competence standpoint. So often... They should be doing more. It, in cases like this, I, I, would, I would guess, it's not so much a matter of them being an especially terrible Tory. They have normal Tory terribleness. But they are very badly matched to their department. They end up being quite ideological about their particular brief when they start mm. being particularly terrible in one area, be it either health or education. And then they return to sort of normal Tory terribleness as soon as they're out. Another one would be Ian Duncan Smith when he was Work and Pension Secretary. Because the work, Department of Work and Pension still exists, but yes. the, I don't even know who the new one is. He's not become this figure of hate. Oh, still doing terrible a, things, obviously. I believe it's a woman at the moment. Forget yeah. precisely. There's been so much turn up. I can't keep it straight. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, a couple of years ago, I could have named you every member of the cabinet yeah. straight off the top of my head, and now... Mm, it's much the nope. same in America, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, goodness gracious, yeah. Um, the current secretary is Esther McVeigh, that's right. Yeah, because she got into trouble the other week for misleading Parliament over... Um, something the audit commissions were supposed to have said, and then it turned out that they hadn't said. And then hmm. the head of the, the the head of the auditing office wrote a letter to Parliament correcting her, and then she stood up to give an apology in the House, and then lied again. <laughs> so that went down really well. So she definitely should also have been fired. Yep. Um, so we can add her to the list of Tory MPs, Tory ministers <laughs> who definitely should have been fired. Also, she's a really hard Brexiteer and a really really like Turbo Thatcherite on economics. Oh, so lovely. She is. Basically, one of the worst Tories. Broadly speaking, they should all be fired by the public at a general election. Yes, but she specifically should have been fired by Theresa May for lying to the House of Commons, which, hmm. if I recall correctly, is technically against the law. Yes, yeah, I think so. But you can get away it's with it. It's by the saying, same thing as contempt of court. I misspoke. Yes. yes. <laughs> but even mis- misleading the House is usually enough to require resignation. I mean, Amber Rudd yeah. resigned over a similar issue. Um, yeah, and under is... any other Prime Minister, she would have been fired. Yeah, but well, this is why. This is why you're not allowed to accuse other members of lying deliberately in the house, because it is such a serious thing. So you have to yeah. go through very specific channels if you're going to accuse someone of lying. We like to finish here with Revolutionary Dispatches on a bit of a feel-good, mm. feel-good topic. Um, and I've, I've got one down here already, which is to do with Eritrea and Ethiopia. But I also think it's worth mentioning, which I forgot to add to our text document, David. Oh, sorry. It's also worth mentioning the recent election of uh, AMLO. The, oh, uh, yes. the new the new Mexican president. So should we should we tackle that first and then do yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, lovely. In a sec. Yes, I don't know so much about him. I'd not heard of him before. He came. He, he, yeah, he, I think he came onto my radar very recently. But then I I do get the feeling that that has no. I'm I'm just reading and no. Apparently he came second in 2012. No. So if you're Mexican, you've probably heard of him. Yes, but certainly he only came onto my radar very recently. But yes, um, yeah. his name is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. I've mangled Lovely. that, I'm sure. But often just known as AMLO, for <laughs> obvious reasons. Um, it, from what I've seen of him, from all the... Because I didn't know very much about him, so I've surveyed the the, the commentary at yeah. noise about him as much as I possibly can. And the consistent themes appear to be that he's populist, left-wing, and anti-corruption. Yes. Yes. Which are all very good things. <laughs> he had, uh, I'll just read a couple of his proposals. This is just off Wikipedia because, yes, 
perfectly valid source in my view, mm. as long as you don't take it as gospel. So yes. policy proposals include increases in financial aid for students and the elderly, amnesty for some drug war criminals, universal access to public colleges, cancellation of the New Mexico City International Airport, a referendum on energy reform to end Pemex monopoly in the oil industry, stimulus of the country's agricultural sector to delay of the renegotiation of NAFTA, the construction uh. of more oil refineries, increased spending on welfare, cutting politicians' salaries, and a decentralization of the executive cabinet by moving government departments and agencies from the capital to the states. Oh, blimey. So as a package, he's, yes, fairly left-wing, mm. um, particularly given some previous uh, Mexican leaders. And people have been talking about this as the start of a, a resurgent pink tide in Latin America. Yeah. Uh, this is a term which was thrown around a lot in the sort of 90s and uh, particularly the, the early noughties, um, where there were, a, there were a lot of um, sort of social democratic going on socialist leaders coming to power in all over Latin America. Mm. Um, this has been kind of in abatement recently, but yes, it's just to an extent because of the, the the relative reduction in U.S. militarism following the end of the Cold War, mm. Latin America began to be able to, you know, elect the parties that it actually wanted to without interference, so much interference in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so with with AMLO winning in Mexico and the possibility of um, uh, a left wing win in Brazil coming up. Um, the, the candidate there, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, just generally known as Lula, he's currently in prison for corruption. But um, this corruption, this corruption charge is considered by a lot of the left to be basically politically motivated. It's a little murky because corruption is kind of endemic in Brazilian politics. Um, but uh, certainly, the left tend to be less corrupt than the right. is a is a broadly <laughs> accurate statement. It and, depends um, on the form of the right, because business elites tend not to like corruption because it means they can't control the political system so well. They can't manage all of the little bribes and what have you that's going on. They like, yeah, to, to, they like things to be run efficiently in their mm, interests. To an extent, but um, they also are quite generally happy to bribe civil servants. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, just, it's harder to manage than if you just yeah. directly control the political party. Like with the rules. Yes. Yeah, because you could argue that America is an incredibly corrupt political system just because corporations can give unlimited amounts to... But the corruption is legalised. But it, because it's legal, that means that they can manage it very effectively and maintain pretty much 100% control over the political system. Whereas if there's underground black market, black market corruption, they find it harder to, um, to, to control. Whereas ordinary people can get in on the corruption if it's, if it's illegal. In any case, if the elections in October result in a victory for uh, Lula, which is possible, although he may be disqualified because he's in prison. Um, mm. But... Again, this is the sort of general good Latin America uh, socialist yeah. movement in general. Mm. Also, AMLO is a personal friend of Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. So, there. Mm. What a chap. Any friend of Corbyn's? He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, no. No, I think that's yeah. quite good. Well, there's the, it's worth mentioning that he's explicitly said that he will not, um, he will stand up to Trump. Yes. It's quite good. There shall be no wall construction on Mexico's dime. Mm. Yes, because this will be, this has been a voice that has been a bit absent from the whole American debate on the treatment of Mexican migrants and, mm. and and the wall and what have you is the Mexican government. They have a big, they're a massive country, very influential, but they're completely absent from the conversation. Mostly. Although there was that former president who did deliciously oh, say yeah. on camera, "We're not paying for the fucking wall." Yeah, <laughs> but more Spanishy. Yeah, um, I, we, I'm not going to do the accent. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Um, I just have, so hopefully. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, we'll I think it. I um, I, I think I technically should tag it as explicit, but. I might not bother. Okay. We'll see if we get a listener backlash, and then we'll yes. then we'll cut it back again. Because we don't swear very much. No, I feel like I was quoting then as well yes, from a former true. president of Mexico. Yeah. So I sort of feel like that should be allowed. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I'll allow anyway, it. Thank you, thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the one feel good story that's happened fairly recently. I'd say hmm. it's, it's a little while ago now, but we missed it. Um, but the, the very recent thing is uh, a piece 
between Eritrea and Ethiopia, mm. which is um, really, really, really good. Mm. Um, so Eritrea is immediately north of Ethiopia. Yes. I'm thinking of the correct country. For those who don't know, um, Eritrea used to be part of Ethiopia um, and then became independent de facto in 1991 and de jure in 93. Um, there was then a long war which began in 1998 and formally concluded uh, three days ago on the 9th of July 2018. Mm. Um, given that the population of Eritrea and Ethiopia, along the border especially, is quite mixed, um, for the longest time, 20 years, uh, people who are related by, by marriage or by blood, um, and certainly tribal groups, have been split by this kind of artificial line which has been drawn by the border. Mm. Uh, you couldn't even, until the other day, call someone uh, in Eritrea okay. or in Ethiopia or vice versa. That's now starting to end. The phone lines, I, I believe, switched back on this morning. Mm. So it's really, really good. Um, yeah, the, the new the new prime minister of Ethiopia, mm. uh, Abiy Ahmed, um, who was elected in April, uh, had sort of said in the part as part of his campaign, um, rapprochement with, with Eritrea would be part of his his kind of policy platform. He's also he's from different um, tribal the previous um, presidents, uh, prime ministers rather, um, ah. and so there's there's a yeah, he's um, an Oromo, whereas I believe the previous have been for a very long time. Tigray, that's the one. Yeah, so he's, he's an Oromo, whereas previously uh, most of the prime ministers are uh, Tigray. So um, this kind of change in the sort of internal politics of Ethiopia, dispelling some of the, the tribal conflicts, which are, thus have been a uh, kind of a constant factor in Ethiopian politics. Really, I mean, forever, but especially throughout the communist government. So um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about that. Yeah. Chop down some of that Mm-mm. murmuring in the, <laughs> in the edit but yeah i thought it was just yes yeah. we're going to show that progress can be made yeah exactly you know 20 years of war and then all it takes is a couple of enlightened leaders to, mm. to get elected through you know a popular movement come together and say yeah let's let knock this one on the head lads mm. <laughs> um i'm sure that's how they put it that's the title of the uh, treaty i don't know what let's knock this on the head lads is in amharic mm-hmm. um I, I may learn yes let's run it through google translate does it have amharic that's the question perhaps that should be the the slogan on our lips across the world very soon. I will now attempt to pronounce the Amharic of let's knock this on the earth, lads. Brace for impact. Um, which is, as I had briefly forgotten, but now did very quickly remember, written in an entirely different script. <laughs> so I will use the pronunciation guide. Isiti yihenini che'inik laiti lai inikwaku. Yeah. I have no idea if that's right, but it sounded like words. It's what Google Translate says, let's knock this on the head, lads. Mm. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, that's the official name of the treaty. We should have different people from all around the world in different languages all saying the translation of that. It's the new version of the Internationale. It would be a beautiful thing. Mm. I I feel Nelson Mandela would be proud. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Tony Benn as well. Ah, Tony Benn. I miss Tony Benn. I miss Tony Benn as well, yeah. I don't think I'll ever stop missing Tony Benn. Let's knock it on the head, lads. Let's knock it on the head, lads. Anything more to add, David? I don't believe so. No. Well, very well then. For the first time in eight months. We're back. We're back and better than ever. Hopefully there will be more of these to come. Uh-huh. As I said at the beginning, you can find old episodes on YouTube. Uh, new ones will continue to post on SoundCloud and we've got Facebook as well if you want to drop us a like on there. Mm. Much appreciated. Uh, you've been listening to Revolutionary Dispatches. Thank you, comrades, for your time and attention. Viva la Revolution. Viva la Revolution.